Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us this morning with your presence. I pray that we would be faithful to you, Lord, that it would not just be joyful singing, but that it would be joyful living for you with all of our hearts. I pray not you, that you'd bless Brother Emmanuel. I pray that you'd fill him with the anointing of your spirit to, to speak what you have put on his heart, Lord. Give him freedom and liberty and clarity of thought and speech and help us to keep our hearts open to hear what you have to say through him. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, brother. A dream spoke to me of passivity. Those people there were fully trained, fully prepared, fully equipped, but passive. They didn't go. They didn't go. I'd like to pre- like to say in the beginning here that this uh, the title of the missionary, a humble servant. I want to say that being a missionary, being a missionary, does not ensure that you're a humble servant. So my question this morning is, what does a humble servant really look like? Does he walk around with his head kind of bowed and say, you know, look at me kind of attitude where, you know, I'm this humble person, I just don't want to say it? You know, is that really humility? One of the echoing words in my background, from where I come from, from my people, and I believe that there is a worldview that's in our, that we grew up with in our Anabaptist background that causes us to be passive about taking the gospel out and reaching, being willing to step out and do it. In my background, if I would step up and say, I'm willing to go do that spiritual job, or if I'm willing to go preach, that would be, that would be looked at as proud. And so to be humble, you have to be uh, really, you know, really humble. And if someone else calls you to go do the job, then you humbly go do the job. And what, and simply saying that there's a passivity built into our backgrounds, into our lives that we have to fight against to be able to step up to the, to the plate and take our place in the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about John the Baptist. He said this, the, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Does that look like a humble servant to you? And so my question this morning is, what really is a humble servant? I remember growing up and going to church and almost without fail every time the preacher would get to preach, he would, there, was a, there was a quote that he would quote. And I'll say it in German, I don't even know what it means in English for sure, but I'll try. He would get up and in the beginning of his message he would say, And what he simply was saying, I, I find myself very meek and lowly and far from what I should be. That thing rings in my ears continually from probably every service I've been to, or almost. And so that's a background that's that's planted deep into my being. And, and it, it, it says to me that I'm supposed to be like this meek and lowly, humble person. And that's the picture that we have in our backgrounds. I remember my dear brother Denny, in the earlier years of, of his ministry in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, Lancaster, he told us this story one time. He was in a circle of Anabaptist preachers. And I don't know, maybe Dill Hise was one of them. It was earlier on, I believe. And they were, they had a meeting of some kind and they were having, they were having some preaching meetings and someone needed to have the devotions that morning. And this, these, these Anabaptist preachers were sitting in a circle discussing the service to be and, and someone said, well someone needs to have devotions this morning and, and this humble brother said to the other brother beside him, I think, I think you should do it. 
And that fellow said, well, I think you should do it. And, you know, they went around the circle. I think, you know, I think you should be the one that does it. I mean, the fact was they all would have wanted to do it, but no one was humble enough to get up and do it. They're all too proud, right? Brother Dennis sat there, watched this thing happen. He looked at those men. He said, I'll preach. What does a humble servant really look like? The servant of the Lord, he recognizes God's work and God working. And he becomes useful and God is able to use him in the work that he has planned at that present time. That's what I believe a humble servant looks like. He sees he is in tune with God because God speaks to that kind of a person. God works in that kind of person's heart. As I thought about the title of this message, I thought about Jesus. Where do you see it being written about Jesus being humble? Do you see him being humble when he took those those ropes and drove the people out of the temple with the whips? Is that, is that, hum, is that humility? What's our concept of humility? Violent, take it by force. The need of the hour is for men and women. I say men and women to rise up and carry the torch and to preach the word of God in the fear of God. Yes, in humility. But that doesn't mean... I'm this meek, lowly, and un, you know, undeserving person. But that's where the focus seems to have been put. Is that right? Is that why we're not free to preach wherever we go? And people like TH come in who don't have that kind of a background and they look at us in amazement. Well equipped, have the word of God, been trained in the right place, have the right equipment, everything's right. But one thing. Is there a worldview in our lives that hinders us from stepping up and doing what God wants to do in humility, may I say? Meekness. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Amen? Was Elijah a humble servant when he boldly went in before King Ahab and declared that it shall not rain for in this place until I declare it to rain? Was he a humble servant? He was hearing from God. But we don't look at that as really being humility. Was Jonah a humble servant preaching the streets of Nineveh, declaring doom in 40 days? Was Daniel a humble servant to ask for a 10-day of fast, 10-day of pulse? Or when he interpreted the king's dream in chapter 4? I think we have it all wrong, don't we? Was Daniel a humble servant of the Lord when he stood before the king's wild, wicked, drunken party and interpreted the handwriting on the wall, he was in tune with God. This is the call to the Christian. This is the call to every one of us. It's not, quote, for the missionary who travels. Every one of us who has been born of God has the call of God in our lives to be the servant of the Lord wherever we go. Every one of us is called to be a missionary. Daniel chapter 9 as Daniel recognized the time. This is something that I'm, I want to just bring in toward the end of my message is God's timing. Do you recognize God's timing and do you recognize what God is doing according to his word? Daniel recognized according to the books that the 70 years of captivity were up. And he went into a three-week fasting and prayer and that is when God gave him a, a beautiful revelation. But he did it. How? He took it by force. We have sinned. We and our fathers are guilty. And he made confession, national confession and repentance. And God gave an amazing prophecy, sent an angel and brought him a word. Moses, meekest man on the face of the earth. What about the prophet Nathan, 
confronting David, one of the most powerful kings, if not the most powerful king in the world, walking up to him and confronting him face to face and said, you are the man, just a humble servant in tune with God. What about that little slave girl of Naaman, the general of the Syrian army? Humble little servant girl, a missionary, right? Naaman's confession was very clearly he believed in God. John the Baptist, what do you see? Do you see him like in the spirit of an Anabaptist, quote, meek, humble, lowly, Anabaptist preaching there? What was the spirit of John the Baptist? You vipers! Repent! What about Jesus? I'm meek and lowly. He didn't say I'm humble. No, that's... If our focus is on being humble, our focus is in the wrong place. I don't know of anyone becoming humble by focusing on trying to be humble. The Bible does teach us to humble ourselves. Yes, but to try to do that in my own strength, I just get prouder and prouder and prouder. Am I right? Anyone with me here? (laughs) Peter. I want to say that when we're in tune with God, we will recognize what God is doing. And I'll give you an example out of my own life, the joy that comes with that. On the day of Pentecost, Peter recognized what was happening. He was in tune with God. He was a broken man. Before the crucifixion there, sitting at the Lord's at the Lord's table in the Last Supper, what were the disciples doing? What were they talking about? Which one's going to be the greatest? But after the cross, you don't hear them talk about that again. There was a breaking that took place. And especially, it especially pictures Peter, a broken man. He repented deeply of his own confidence in himself and his own way. And then he was able to be used of God. And when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, he recognized this is what the prophet Joel had talked about. And he used the words of the Old Testament to confirm in the hearts of the Jewish people, this is what the prophet talked about. This is this very thing he spoke about. We, this is today. That today is a day of salvation, he would say. Also in Acts chapter 3, he again used the scriptures, proving by the Old Testament the words that this is a fulfillment of that. And you and I are called to be a part, to be a part of the fulfilling of the Great Commission. We are called to take this gospel and preach this living word into the hearts and lives of people that today is the day of salvation. And even as we take those words and we speak those words prophetically over a people, it can actually become the day of salvation for people in that group. I was recently somewhere... uh, I was in Egypt just in May and this scripture came out so powerful to me, which was today is the day of salvation. And I began to see clearer than before that when this scripture was used in the, in the New Testament, it was preached in a prophetic sense to an audience who was listening and it became the day of salvation for them. And you and I are called to bring to fulfillment these words, of this new covenant in the lives of the people we meet. But where must, there must be a proclamation of God's word. And it is through the proclamation of God's word that salvation comes to the people. This is the work of the missionary. And every one of us is a missionary. I'd like for you to turn with me to, uh, to Isaiah. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a personal example of something that I've experienced. This was so very exciting to me. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 19. The power 
of proclamation. This is the call to every one of us as Christians. This is the, this is the missionary work. We're all called to be missionaries. In last year in February, 2011, I went with Raymond Burkholder to Egypt. Growing up, reading God's word, reading about the Egyptians, I had an attitude about them. I wonder if you do too. When you think of the Egyptians, what do you think of? When you think of Egypt, what do you think of? Muslim Brotherhood, King Tut. My view of the Egyptians from the biblical perspective was that Egypt is a type of the world, Pharaoh is a type of the devil, and so forth. God's people came out of that wicked place. And so Egypt, in my mind, was the place where, because the Bible speaks about going back to Egypt. Why would I want to go to Egypt? But I arrived in Egypt and I, be, I met the Christian brothers and sisters there and I began to realize that my concept of them was warped. And I had to repent in my heart and accept them as my brothers and sisters. And, and even today when I hear the word Egyptians, I tend to wince a little bit because I feel like I have, I, I've used that word so wrongly for such a long time. And in a, in a way, I, in a way it slams them. But today, when I speak about the Egyptians, I now speak about my dear brothers and sisters there. And yes, the Muslim Brotherhood is there too. We, we arrived in Egypt, and knowing that Egypt is much used in the Bible, I went to my concordance and began to do a search on Egypt. And I, my question was, what does God have in store for Egypt? And this is what I want to, I want you to see this as an example for you, as a missionary in your home or wherever you are, that if you're in tune with God, God will open doors and God will give you opportunities to work alongside of the work that He is doing if you recognize the time that you're in. So I searched the Scriptures and I came up with Isaiah 19. Now I would have always read Isaiah 19 in a spiritual sense, thinking this is a prophetic utterance about the Egyptians. You know, about in my Christian life, the Egyptians are... The world, the worldliness and so forth. But as I, but being in Egypt, I saw Isaiah 19 from a whole different aspect. This is a prophecy directly to this country. Now let me ask you a question. If you were to be a missionary among some heathen tribe in, in Costa Rica or somewhere, what if, what if that specific people group you'd be working with, Brother Dale, would be mentioned very clearly in the Bible. In fact, the whole chapter about the proph- a prophecy of the power of God coming to them. How would you feel working with people like that? Wouldn't that be exciting? This chapter is directly a prophecy to Egypt. And we looked at this prophecy, we looked at this chapter, and I was amazed. God is going to do something in Egypt. God has a plan for these people. I wonder if I can work alongside with God at this time, and I wonder what the timing is. The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. God is going to go to Egypt. The presence of the Lord is going to come down there, riding on a swift cloud. This is a spiritual sense. This tells me that the Holy Ghost is going to be going to Egypt and descend upon the people there, and there's numerous things that are going to happen when it does. Watch what happens. Verse 2. When the Spirit of God comes down to Egypt, this is what's going to happen. And I will set 
the Egyptian against the Egyptian, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, everyone against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. This is what's going to happen when the presence of the Lord comes there. While we were there in February of 2011, we were in a conference. There's this one evening. We're in this conference and there's preaching going on and there's right in the very heart of this meeting, we had about 80 pastors and their wives and so forth meeting together there for a week of conference. The guys around me were getting texts on their phone and they said, something's happening in Port Said. said, there's, there's fighting there. They're killing each other. What ended up happening that night is there was a football game, soccer game at Port Said and these two teams were playing and the, and the Egyptians' number one team lost to a local team. And after the game was over, the fans poured down into the, the game area and began to fight each other and began to kill each other and they began to throw each other off the stadium down below. That night there was 73 people killed in that town, in that city. When the Spirit of the Lord comes, I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptian. Brother against brother. Yes, city against city. Kingdom against kingdom. Exactly what this verse says happened that night. That was exciting. We're there praying and seeking God for Egypt. We're begging God to bring revival to Egypt. And we see something unfolding in front of our eyes. This is the work of the missionary. Is to be able to discern God's timing and be able to work alongside of what God is doing. That's what I believe God wants us to do. We returned to Egypt this past May. And I said to Brother Raymond, I wonder what God is going to do this time. And we looked at the next couple of verses and we said, what needs to happen in order for the rest of this chapter to be fulfilled? And I want to take you to the last part of the chapter, because in the middle of the chapter, there's a list of things that are going to happen when this fulfillment begins to take place. But I want you to see what God wants to do in this place. And my heart really would be, I would delight if God would be calling someone out of this meeting today to rise up and go and be a missionary to Egypt. Because I believe the time is ripe. Let's look at verse 14. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst of thereof. They've caused Egypt to err in every work thereof as a drunken man staggering his vomit. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt. It's just amazing. We stood there in the river now and there's, there is dozens and dozens of, of, uh, uh, <clears throat> tourists, big boats, four, five, and six stories high, stacked four wide in the river, tied up, and there's no one there. Basically no one there to take rides. This is a high tourist area and there's basically no tourism in Egypt anymore. And this says there shall be Neither shall there be any work for Egypt. The problem is with all the war they've had, all the difficulties they've had in the last two or three years, is that the tourism has totally dropped out the bottom. And there's no work for many people. Neither shall there be work for Egypt, which the head, tail, branch, rush may do. In that day shall Egypt be like unto women. It shall be afraid and fear because of shaking the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And they told us there, said, we are like women. We're afraid. And God is shaking Egypt. In the land of, and the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Now, I don't know if that actually, does that mean the land of Judah? It, it says the land of Judah, but could it mean the Christian? Everyone that makes mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. 
In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan. Does that mean they'll speak like Christians? I don't know. And swear to the Lord of hosts, one shall be called the city of destruction. In that day there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. Do you see what this is saying is going to happen? There's going to be an altar there. There's going to be a pillar there when you come into Egypt. You're going to see a sign of the Lord there. And it shall be for a sign and for witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a Savior and a great one. He shall deliver them, and the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord. And every time I get to preach this last time I was there, I would declare and prophesy, I would say, and the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord. I recognized God's timing and I began to proclaim that the Egyptians shall be known of God and God will know them. And that's what God wants. God wants missionaries who will come, who will rise up to the challenge and proclaim God's word and by the proclaiming of God's word it shall begin to come to pass. They shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow to the Lord and perform it. Don't you want to be a missionary to Egypt? Wow! And the Lord shall smite Egypt he shall smite and heal it. Is Egypt, is Egypt being smitten right now? Yes. He shall heal it. And they shall return even to the Lord. And he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians shall come into Egypt. And the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. Now look at the next one. In that day shall Israel be third with Egypt and Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance, in that day. Okay, now when is that day going to be? And what is God waiting on? I believe God wants men to rise up and proclaim God's word and to bring it to pass. Recognizing the time. Blessed be Egypt, my people. Assure you the work of my hands. And eat and Israel, my inheritance. We understand that Israel is God's inheritance. But it says, the Assyrians are the work of my hands. Who's Assyria today? Iraq. Iran? Iraq, I believe. Maybe Iraq, Iran, maybe that whole area there. But it says, Assyria, the work of my hands. And there's going to be a highway. And these three nations are going to serve the Lord together. Assyria, the work of my hands. What does it say in Ephesians about the Gentiles? The work of my hands. Ye are his workmanship. Yes, Assyria, the work of my hands. But it says Egypt, my people. Why is Egypt my people? God calls them his people. Now when I talk about my people, I have a plain background. They're my people. There's no question about who my people are. Who are your people? And God says these are my people. Why would God say that? Did you remember that Jesus lived there for a number of years? In Egypt. Egypt actually protected Jesus. My people. I believe Egypt will come to know the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind. When will that happen? Maybe God is waiting for us, someone to rise up and proclaim truth. In this past May, we were there. <clears throat> I looked at the scriptures again. And I said, what needs to happen before that day? It speaks about that day over and over again. One thing I saw that needs to happen, look at verse 4, verse 3. 
we're reading at verse 3, and the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. I will destroy the counsel thereof. They shall seek to the idols, to charmers, to them that have familiar spirits, to wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Well, they've had a fierce king ruling over them. Verse 5 and 6. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up, and they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried, and the reeds and flags shall wither. And it goes on the next verse, and it speaks about what's going to happen when the water dries up in the river. I said, you mean the Nile would be dried up? Well, it says they'll turn the waters far away in that day. And I asked them, I said, can you tell me more about what this might mean? And they said, yes. They said, there is a debate right now about with uh, Ethiopia. And the river Nile flows down from Ethiopia, through Ethiopia and through Sudan into Egypt, all the way from south to north. And that, that Nile River is the life of Egypt, absolute life of Egypt. And it flows deep and it flows wide. Comes from way up in the highlands of, of, of East Africa, in Kenya, and begins at Lake Victoria. Flows for thousands of miles. They said, yes, they said, Ethiopia is threatening to turn the river, build a dam, and stop the waters. So that one-fourth less water would flow down the Nile. And if that would happen, that would dry up all the little side lakes all the little tributaries out the side because that's what that's what they live off of. That's what they farm off of. If that river were to drop 10 or 15 feet, it would dry out most of Egypt. And I came home and, and we and so we just had a lovely time with our brothers and sisters there in Egypt wondering what God wants to do. When will this be fulfilled? And I came home and I checked BBC News. I'm interested in what God is doing in Egypt. You know what the headline said? Right there in front of my face, Ethiopia begins to turn the rivers, river Nile with a dam. That was incredible to me. And I know God is saying something. My question to you, probably, probably very few of you will ever go to Egypt, but my question to you is, do you recognize what God is doing in your hometown and what God wants to do and what God has proclaimed he will do to the Egyptians, to the Muslim, to your neighbors, and whoever you meet, if only you were a humble servant who would rise up, step outside of your background of false humility and take this gospel in true spirit of humility and of Christ to your neighbors and proclaim that today is the day of salvation. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we, we are here to proclaim God's word and see it brought to pass. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would instruct us, inspire us, and quicken us Lord, show us how we have erred in the past. Show us how we have been passive, like that dream we heard. Though we are fully equipped, though we have the Word of God, yet we expect someone else to rise up and do it. God, would you forgive us and show me what you want me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.